Welcome to the Aspen UK podcast, where we bring people together to discuss topics that matter. Hello and welcome to today's discussion. It's part of a continuing series on leadership insights, where we are inviting members of our Aspen Institute in the UK network to discuss key moments of strong leadership they have seen or experienced in the last year, and also talk about leadership fails as well. I'm Penny Richards. I'm the chief exec of the Aspen Institute in the UK. We know, we all know that leaders face immense challenges, but we're also aware there has been a positive good leadership in the political space, perhaps in mitigating climate emergency, in tech and in other spheres too. Aspen UK works with a broad range of leaders across the UK, helping them operate in a world that is becoming increasingly diverse and polarised and to recognise how this influences their actions and decisions as leaders. We work with people to be more aware of their own values, more tolerant of others' perspectives, and more inspired to drive positive change. Today, we are joined by two really thoughtful Aspen UK rising leaders, Katie Hutchinson, who is a doctoral student in biology at the University of Oxford, and Flynn Devine, who's a researcher thinking about AI governance. If it's okay with both of you, can we just dive straight into the first question? If you have learned one thing about leadership in the last year, what would you suggest it's been? Katie, do you want to jump in first? Yeah, um, for me, I mean, I've been in a lot of situations and circumstances over the last year where I've seen a lot of different leadership styles. And for me, one thing that always stands out is when somebody leads from within a team, when they're really, really integrated and they're not miles ahead. Um to me, communication is so key in leadership um, and kind of supporting from the mid the mid range, I think is really important. Um, and I think it always really fosters a kind of community when you're tackling a project together rather than, you know, micromanagement and being miles away from everybody else. So that's something that stands out to me. Katie, thanks. That's, I love how you talked about some middle ranking leadership rather than just assuming that leadership is always right at the very top of the, the pyramid. Thanks. Uh, Flynn, what about you? Yeah, I think um, what I have come to think about leadership and, and what I'm ever more interested in is the idea of collective leadership. So removing the idea that leadership is just a trait that is attached to an individual, but that there's possibilities for the collective to kind of act up and, and i think in my opinion and throughout a lot of my work and a lot of the stuff i focused on i've really found that actually often the best way to create results for the collective good is actually for there to be greater collective leadership um and i think you know this involves more people stepping up this involves creating infrastructure that supports kind of people to have agency and autonomy and and it involves really having key decisions made by larger, more diverse groups, because, you know, I think um, no one small group can ever fully understand kind of the the breadth of, of, of results from their actions or the way that their decisions will affect large groups, uh, especially in kind of uh, big, you know, global or international, or even at the local level. Um, and, that, and that's not their fault. You know, that's just the way that small groups operate. But I think with, with greater kind of collective intelligence and uh, and collective leadership, and, and making sure those key decisions are more 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 shared and inclusive, um, you can often kind of come to the results that yeah really favour the the collective good more. 
I also think with collective leadership comes collective sense of responsibility. And I think if you often have significant heavy leadership, not everyone's going to take responsibility for their actions. Absolutely. Oh, that's really interesting. Thank you. Okay. So both of you, what's the, is, is there one moment of excellent leadership in the last year that really stood out to you? Katie. Yeah, for me, uh, so I'm part of a research group, obviously, here at Oxford, and there are constantly big decisions to be made in such a huge, world-renowned institution. Um, And something stood out to me is one of the leaders that I know has kind of approached everyone about a big funding decision that came our way um, within the university um, that could have had... uh, Great positives come from it, but also potentially some huge negatives. And everyone was addressed, even from down, you know, the master student level right up to people who are the top leaders. And that made everyone really come together and have a collective vision, like you mentioned earlier, and bring everybody in makes people feel like they're part of something bigger, um, which I think is really key. So yeah, getting everybody engaged was a sign of what I think was really excellent leadership from uh, a group within my department. Did you reach some level of consensus? Yes, we did. Um, and it was very swiftly shut down. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Flynn, what about you? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I guess to kind of stick with the theme of the, the collective intelligence and collective leadership idea, um, one avenue of collective leadership I'm super interested in is kind of civil action. Um, you know, throughout history, I, I mean, I think researchers have basically found that um, no major societal shift has ever come without massive disobedience, for example, be it kind of civil rights or, or universal suffrage. Um, and we've also seen a kind of a rise in in protest and civil disobedience uh, and a multiple kind of collective actions of the last year to do with multiple things, you know, currently have it um, surrounding different conflicts in the world. But also I think one thing that I was super interested in and, and love them or hate them, I think they're fascinating is that there's Just Stop Oil, who were obviously very active in 2023, um, and I think, you know, that maybe the jury is out on, on where they'll go down in history. I know that they're very contentious, but also so were the suffragettes, for example. You know, they, at, at the time, uh, many people kind of hated the suffragettes and thought it was ridiculous. And now we see them as heroes. So we may, we may see that with just a foil. But I think it's a really interesting example where people are coming together in kind of semi-organized, self-organized groups to take quite dramatic action for something they believe in. Um, with with real consequences, you know, these people are willing and and often actually have the aim to kind of be arrested and and maybe go to prison, and th- this is something that will affect their real, their whole life, you know. Um, but I think it's it's followed in the steps of movements like Extinction Rebellion, who had a really interesting approach to the idea of leadership, because although there were some people who ended up being figureheads and some brilliant individuals um, who who were involved in kind of setting it up. Uh, it's actually from my hometown, but by coincidence. But um, they they really took the approach about empowering communities to do things themselves, and and so it would involve going around and educating and talking to communities, but leaving communities to set up their own XR hubs. And this successfully led to a movement that spread around the entire world, and I think pretty objectively was was a big part of uh, you know changing the dial on the climate change conversation. So I think this idea of kind of are there ways to empower collectives to, to stand up for what they believe in? And, you know, with someone like Justin Boyle, to not really ask permission, but to, to just go ahead and, and do the action. I think love them or hate them, I think it's a really uh, fascinating approach to, to change making and, and to viewing kind of leadership and action for, for what you believe in and, and making kind of a future um, 
so yeah that was definitely one in 2023 that has fascinated me a lot thank you um have either of you been inspired by any unusual leadership styles in the last year Flame, why don't you go first on this one so i'm gonna st- i'm gonna still stick with the theme because this is just this is the theme right as, I, as i'm thinking about a lot something i am always really interested in is people who are in existing seats of power who actively try to secede their power to larger groups or to communities that they serve. Um, you know, I saw this a lot when I used to kind of work with, with local authorities around the UK, people who just really cared about empowering their communities, kind of, kind of, uh, you know, take down those power barriers between like uh, being a government and being a people or being kind of the provider of a service or the recipient of a service and thinking more about how we can give, give communities more agency and autonomy to kind of do the things that they want to do. And I think it's, um, I think many would kind of see this as a, a unique leadership style in a way. Again, I think we live in a society that um, supports people to be fairly individualistic sometimes and, and especially supports people to be, you know, you need to be the big brash leader who makes bold decisions and stands by them and drives them forward, even if you kind of come up against uh, friction, which like definitely can can do amazing things. Don't get me wrong. I think I, I'm not saying that's just never successful, but I think I'm often inspired by people who have positions where they they have authority, they have influence, and they actively decide to not use that for kind of their own their own glory or to be in the limelight and to to actively work to try and to try and give that over. Um, and there's a couple of people just that I know personally who I've who I've seen do that, and uh, it's yeah, tremendously inspiring. I, I love that you're determinedly not naming individuals or people in sort of hierarchical positions. It's really interesting for me. Katie, what about you? I don't know. I'm going to slightly twist your question and sh- say I've seen unle- unusual leadership styles that I am uninspired by. I'm kind of opposite, you know, I think that are very inefficient. Um, so, like I said, going into the realm of politics, I think uh, what Rishi Sunak is doing at the moment, it's really unusual, you know, challenging his um, MPs quite a lot with the whole Rwanda bill and all of that. Um, it's definitely an unusual style. And following on from what Flynn said about using things for your own good and kind of using your power in a negative way, um, I think it's unusual to see what's happening now in kind of UK politics and finding it really kind of inspiring and picking out what I think works in leadership and what doesn't it's interesting seeing on a big scale kind of countrywide um so yeah so you you've talked about some uninspiring leadership i'm going to sort of actually ask you both to dig a bit further what's the biggest leadership failure you you've seen or experienced in the last year katie is it, is it the continuation of what you've just said or is it um so i have two examples uh continuing what i was saying about uh the Conservatives at the moment, I would say yes. Um, they're a big leadership failure for me currently, um, but also on a smaller scale, um, on a project that I was involved in, um, we were organising events, or a leader was organising an event, left everything far too late, um, and then people were becoming increasingly frantic and taking on extra roles that weren't theirs to kind of get this event up and running in time. Um, so I think miscommunication and misorganization uh, kind of flows through all leadership scales, whether that be on a tiny scale, on a local level, right up to countrywide, internationally. Um, that would be my kind of big leadership failure, if you will, uh, not communicating and not organizing enough. Interesting. Thank you. And Flynn? 
um, yeah, I, I think to kind of continue what I've been saying, I think I wouldn't necessarily go all the way to call them failures, but I think we're seeing a kind of a greater concentration of power in the hands of the few in, in many different scenarios and in many different um, spaces. And I think we are starting to see ways in which that can be quite uh, destabilizing and, and, and maybe even dangerous in, in kind of um, in the worst case scenario. So for example, at the moment, I'm thinking a lot about AI um, and how, and kind of the governance of AI as, as the frontier technology that, you know, has shaped society and will continue to shape society um, and, and how we need to govern this correctly. And I think something for anyone who's involved in AI in any way that has happened that they'll probably be aware of is, is the pretty radical overnight decision of OpenAI, which is one of the biggest firms in this space, to uh, surprisingly fire their CEO, Sam Altman, and then within a matter of days, rehire him because the firing of him kind of sent shockwaves throughout the company, throughout the entire space. Um, and this was a decision taken by a board of, of four people. Um, and I think, you know, the board did what they thought was right. I, you know, I, I don't think we can judge without knowing all the all the details and the scenarios they were in. However, it does make me think if there had been better efforts of kind of collective governance, of, of even just collective intelligence um, behind this decision, even if they just asked all their own employees uh, who, who, after the firing of the CEO, basically all stood directly with him. There was almost there was mass exodus. People were quitting. People were threatening to leave, um, which is part of the reason that they, they rehired him. So even if they'd just done that, they might have understood that actually this this decision might, you know, the, the signals they're reading might not be the, the right kind of signals. Or even if or even if there had been better collective leadership and there was, you know, much more informed decision making, then it might not have got the backlash that it did get. Um, but I think what this demonstrated for me is is a kind of a, a twofold thing about uh, areas where there's kind of such high centering, you know, the center, the kind of the state of open AI does in some ways alter the state of the space. And I think one aspect is that key decisions in a company this important can be made by such a small group so so quickly and so rapidly and, and so surprisingly um, with quite little accountability and oversight, but also the kind of dual thing that there's been so much emphasis put on Sam Altman as a person and as a leader that his firing completely kind of destabilized the company, completely destabilized the space. And I think when you yeah have organizations and, and this goes for industry, but also civil society and definitely government, um, that the, the, the vision of their success is so reliant kind of on one person, one person's judgment or, or a small group and their actions. I just think we should, you know, we need to really carefully think about how we govern govern these spaces to make sure that that these things are moving again for the kind of for the collective good. Um, because, you know, it it was I think probably uh, you know went quite badly for for most of its accounts. It could have gone much worse. Well, so it definitely something that that made me think about this uh, a lot more on this idea of maybe more collective leadership is a good thing. I think it made you and so many others think about that and, and also about AI governance. I think it was a really seminal moment, wasn't it? Okay, uh, last question to both of you. Um, we are still in the throes of a new year, the beginning of 2024. What do you recognise as both the challenges and the opportunities for, for leadership this year? Uh, Katie? Uh, thank you. Um, I think 
So 2024 globally is a huge year of challenge and opportunity and leadership. I think there's, I saw a stat and it's the year of the most elections, the most people ever will be heading mm-hmm. to the courts to make their votes for um, elections and seven of the 10 most populous countries having huge political reform. Um, so there's huge challenges coming up and opportunity. For me, obviously, researching climate change, we're at a pivotal time now. Uh, We cannot afford to not have climate change addressed in these changes. So we have huge opportunity with parties globally, um, you know, modifying and expanding their climate policy. And but there's also challenges surrounding we're still kind of in the throes, like you said, of in a new year, but also at the end of COVID. People are still coming over all of the changes and negatives that came from that. So they're huge challenges that we need to overcome, but they also, wherever there's a challenge, there's a huge opportunity as well. Um, so hopefully these political leaders will come together, like going back full circle moment to what we spoke about at the start, come together and do some collective leadership to tackle all these huge problems. Thank you. I hope so, Flynn. Yeah, I, I think uh, like what Katie said is exactly right. And I think for me, we're definitely at a crossroads right now. I think mass kind of anger and fear and feelings of powerlessness and like, for example, political disenfranchisement means, you know, we have the biggest period of democratic backsliding in modern history happening yeah in in the year with the most major elections ever i think it's almost 40 i think it's 40 countries that are having major elections this year it's almost 50 percent of the world's population will be in countries having elections um and i think right now we, we really do face crossroads where this anger and this fear that people feel is going to manifest in in one of two ways one is shifting more towards authoritarianism and and, and in many ways people's fear or anger driving them to recede from a position of, of decision-making or, or leadership, people actively feeling like maybe the better option is just to give control or influence or power over to like, you know, strongman leaders, which we've already seen with the right of populism across the world over the last few years. Um, and I think, but then there's, you know, there's lovely, uh, this other possible route, which I think is this opportunity to move the other way, to build a, a kind of collective vision for a future that has more empowerment, more collective decision-making, more collaboration instead of more divisiveness. So I think we have this real risk and this opportunity space in in, in many ways. Um, and again, I think it links. You know, again, I, I you know I work in tech, and for me, it's kind of a similar thing. Like I've already been speaking about, we have a rising influence of of uh, certain individuals, people you know, people involved in these big companies, and people like Elon Musk, for example, who are who are kind of ever growing their influence and their power. And I think. Many do see this as as a possible challenge for kind of collective flourishing or or not. I mean, love more hate them, um, for example. But I think also more and more people are seeing opportunities as these these big schisms happen that that maybe we do need to open space. And so, for example, in AI space, I'm excited for the opportunity to further my work thinking about you know how we govern these things um, in different ways. But I really think the challenge is 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 removing that narrative of concentration of power towards the narrative of a collection of power and, and i think that's that's the way we're going to get through all of this stuff including you know definitely something like climate governance i used to work in in thinking about this kind of more democratic governance and climate decision making and it's exactly the same thing now i think more collective governance is definitely needed which is shown time and time again when you have things like citizens assemblies or these other kind of collective decision making forums on something like climate always really push for a super ambitious change people are really down to kind of make the sacrifices necessary and all of this, except then, you know, we've just had COP28. And I think if, if COP worked exactly the way it's meant to, we probably wouldn't have had 28 of them. So 
I just think, yeah, this is the main challenge for me is, is, is actually use, is, is making sure that we can use this momentum for, for good change instead of letting it slip kind of into, into what my opinion is, is, is not the right direction of travel. Well, that's an interesting answer, both of you, to that answer, that question, and, and all the others. Thank you. And thank you very much for both for having threads that you, you've woven through this chat. It's been really interesting and helpful. And uh, I love your sort of redefinition of leadership and, and changing this conversation for us. Thank you so much. I've really, really enjoyed it. Um, this actually is the last in this series of Leadership Insights. If you have enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're interested in joining our Aspen UK community, either as a rising leader fellow or as a more senior fellow uh, looking to embark on or continue your own leadership journey, please head to our website to find out more about our fellowships and our executive seminar opportunities. But for now, Katie and Flynn, really fascinating listening and talking to you. Thank you so much for the chance. Thank you. Thank you so much.